This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. Longtime members of the Biz News audiences will be delighted to note that we have finally recharged the batteries on the company's Wayback Machine. And it's taken us back in time by two centuries to the 1820s in the United States. Actually, it's not the dusty Wayback Machine, which has never worked for us, but it's rather a remarkable new book, An Illustrated Business History of the United States, written by the Secretary of Banking and Securities for the State of Pennsylvania, Richard Vague. The book covers U.S. history from about the founding to around 2015. Richard Vague joins us now in this podcast to talk about his book and many of the things that he discovered. Richard, you have written what I would have to call a big book about American history, and that big book uh, is essentially based on real estate and business. Would you give our listeners and viewers an overview of what you have put together here? Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be with you. And yes, I had the opportunity to write a business history of the United States. And, you know, we've all read, you know, political histories and military histories and social histories of the United States. And I was surprised to find that almost nothing had been written on business history. And business is, you know, one of the bedrocks of what created and sustains our country, of course. So I dug into it and had an enormously enjoyable time learning about all sorts of things uh, about American business. And I've organized it into a book that is supposed to be a fun book. So I've divided it in the business into 14 eras, 14 chapters. And for each of those chapters, I have the wealthiest individuals in the country the largest businesses, you know, the, the inventions, and then a narrative. And we call it an illustrated business history because all the fantastic images that come from those eras and our ability to include them in our book. There, there is, uh, to sound, not to sound like an advertisement, but there seems to be a surprise on every page if you look for it. Well, and there, there were surprises for me on every page. You know, I'm a, I've been in business most of my career, and I've I'm a, uh, an, a very much a history buff, and nevertheless, every time you turned around a corner, you'd find something else you didn't know about America. Now, you are an official of the state of Pennsylvania. Tell our audience what you do for a living when you're not writing a book. Well, I spent much of my career in banking. I was a bank CEO, And I was uh, gratified to be approached by the governor of uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania a couple of years ago to join his cabinet as secretary of banking and securities. So you have a a fantastic uh, perspective on the entire thing. One of the things in your book that fascinated me was how you have related real estate to the growth of the economy and the nation. But real estate haven't we kind of run out of it? Nobody's making any more of it, and we've already reached the Pacific Ocean. Well, real estate continues to be a huge part of the U.S. story because I think the uses of real estate are always being transformed, and we've seen that happening right in front of our eyes 
here in the pandemic when uh, the use of commercial office space has diminished, but at the same time, we're seeing a boom in the use of real estate for internet companies as storage and distribution facilities, uh, as for server farms, for all the computers that power uh, the internet. We've seen it here in the uh, Southeast Pennsylvania region because there's been a, an absolute boom in uh, genetic engineering. And all of a sudden there's this massive need for laboratory and genetic material engineering and manufacturing space. So uh, every time you turn around something new and pivotal is happening in real estate. It seemed that over our past 240 odd years as a, as a nation, we came to pivotal moments when the economy lurched forward, uh, the canals, for example, and then the railroads. Tell us a little bit about what historical things you think were the most important. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head relative to at least the first century of our country. Uh, we were blessed with all this land and all this very fertile land, but we had a lot of trouble getting uh, farm products to market. Uh, the U.S. was blessed, it was and remains blessed with one of the great river systems in the world, but you still had to connect certain rivers to other rivers or to the coast. And so you had a canal boom, uh, especially with the monumental Erie Canal, which was completed in 1825 and transformed the Northeast. And then almost just as soon as that was completed, you had the invention of railroads. And the very first railroad was established in Baltimore in 1828, and it was because Baltimore felt it was losing out to New York because of the Erie Canal. And so the Brown brothers uh, said, we've got to, you know, as civic leaders, we got to do something to prep up Baltimore. And then of course, railroads became the be all and end all of that century. Uh, uh, the biggest industry by far in the United States. I think in the book, as you get into those chapters, you'll see the lists of top businesses in the country and they're all railroads. Uh, it was the 800 pound gorilla in the business scene. It was like 70% of the stock market. One, one of the things that isn't listed in later lists is one of the richest individuals in the nation made his fortune in opium. Well, you know, you had the trade with China that started, you know, as early as the 1780s. Uh, in the United States, you had some ships going back and forth. And then in, I believe it was 1805, you had the very first uh, trading ship between the United States and China around opium. And, you know, Britain, of course, was the big trader of opium with, you know, they would grow the opium in India and take it to China. But uh, we found a little bit of opium in Turkey in the port of Smyrna, and that was kind of our, our place, and we would take that opium to China, and a lot of fortunes, including uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's ancestors, and any number of others, Stephen Gerard, who's a big name here in Philadelphia, and the richest man in the U.S. at the time, uh, built fortunes on opium. Now, that kind of ran out after time, because there was these things called the opium wars in China, and it was a controversial subject, but uh, even though it's, it's a tainted aspect of our history, it's definitely a part of our history. As, as you were putting the book together and the final touches and looking back through it before you sent it off to the printers, 
what stuck out to you as the historian that you didn't know before that was extremely important to our history? Well, there were several actually, because uh, you know I knew a lot about business history going back to World War II, and in many respects, our understanding of business kind of seemingly starts in the post-war period. But one of the things that stood out to me uh, that you've already touched on, which was there were massive land companies and real estate was very central. You know, George Washington is a young 20 something and his brothers and some other rich Virginians put together the Ohio Company of Virginia to acquire 500,000 acres in the Ohio Valley and then Robert Morris and William Bingham and others uh, put together million acre purchases uh, in the 1790s. So, and that really has continued and uh, real estate was big. Another thing that was big to me as a, as a career banker was to know that banks were a huge part of the story from day one. And I, I just simply was not aware of that. Yeah, but you have the Bank of North America chartered in 1781. And then our first central bank, the Bank of the United States, here on Third Street in Philly, by the way, um, uh, chartered in 1791. Uh, it's a big part of the story. I guess the other big surprise to me, uh, not to over answer your question, but was the level of involvement in, of the government in business from the very earliest days. It was the U.S. government that took a lot of companies that didn't really know how to manufacture very well and taught them how to manufacture the weapons for the revolution and help finance some of that activity. And then the, the big move happens right after that when the Industrial Revolution is happening over in, in England and the U.S. folks like Tinchcox and even Alexander Hamilton were very involved in effort to, in essence, steal the intellectual property from England to set up an industrial manufacturing uh, uh, presence here in the United States. And of course, that extends the Erie Canal was financed by government, the Transcontinental Railway was, even the internet and the components of the iPhone that we all seem to use uh, really come from government funding of research directly and indirectly. So I think the consistent presence of the government is kind of a uh, an aid to business surprised me. Richard, with the benefit of your studying backwards to the beginnings of our nation, I wonder if you would uh, put some batteries in your uh, crystal ball and tell us where you think it's headed in the near future and then perhaps the longer future, the rest of the century. Nothing big there. Well, the, <laughs> well you know, I was given reason to think about that by writing the book. And I'll tell you, there are uh, certain areas that, you know, are very definitely going to be a massive part of our future. Uh, one of those, I think we alluded to a moment ago, and that is the genetic engineering revolution. You know, we're going to be able to cure disease and we're going to be able to re-engineer our bodies uh, by our ability to manipulate the DNA and RNA in, in, our, in our bodies. And it's almost impossible to overestimate how profoundly that's going to change of the world. We all know about things like uh, you know, the digital revolution and augmented reality and virtual reality. And really, I think to the ability to transform ourselves digitally, you know, we know all the things that kind of go along with this, you know, 
uh, artificial intelligence, supercomputing, uh, 5G and 6G communications. So I think that there's um, are very obvious things that are going to carry us forward and transform us radically. And, and I make one last observation here. And I kind of did this as I was looking through uh, the book. And the book ends in 2015. And the top businesses in the U.S. from, you know, 1776 all the way to 2015 really has to do with the practical needs of everyday life. You know, their agriculture and transportation and things like that. And very recently, we've had things pop up to the top of the list, such as Facebook that represent a departure from taking care of the basic practical needs of human beings to um, entertainment, distraction, comfort. Uh, uh, those things have always been there, but they've been a very small component. It just occurred to me that those kinds of things, controversy, comfort, distraction, entertainment, could come to consume a greater and greater percentage of all the businesses out there and our everyday lives in, in a way that I, I think will make life radically different over the next several generations. Radically different good, radically different bad. Well, that's, of course, the big question. <laughs> and, and, and I think the answer is a whole lot of both, uh, unfortunately. I wish it would you know, we have seen, I remember when social media, you know, the my book actually talks about this, you know, when social media, internet 2.0 came out, uh, it was lauded as the thing that would democratize everything and let the little guy and all goodness and sharing and sweetness and light. And we've seen that that hasn't really happened much at all at, in relationship to, you know, hate and misinformation and other things of this nature. So I, you know, I think all this technology has great potential for great good and for great harm. And I think that's gonna be our challenge. Tell our audience the name of your book again. It's an illustrated business history of the United States. And uh, do you have a website per chance? Well, I do, it's my name. Uh, it's richardvague at richardvague.com. And vague is spelled like the word, V-A-G-U-E. And Richard, we've kind of hopped all over the place with this interview, but what would you like to talk about I haven't asked you? Well, you know, I think uh, part of the fun of the book is that you don't have to sit down and read it cover to cover. And, you know, I have, you know, I think you're probably like me. I have felt that way about history generally. I didn't feel like I had to go and study the 1700s first and then, you know, and then, you know, exhaustively and so forth. The book is kind of like that too. If you're mainly interested in the 1960s, go to that chapter, have fun in that chapter, learn about it, see all the many things, who were the richest people at that time? What were the key inventions at that time? And put the book down and, you know, a couple months later, you may feel like, hey, I really want to know more about the depression or I really want to know about business during the civil war. Uh, you know, the, the fascinating thing about the Civil War to me, you know, the Civil War obviously was tragic. There were a lot of deaths, but it taught Americans 
how to manage massive enterprises. So many of the generals that come out of the Civil War, you know, have, have, they have gone from managing businesses that had 100 employees to managing armies that have 100,000 employees. You know, and they've gone from, you know, taking their produce to market to transporting uh, supplies and troops halfway across the country in a couple of days. So they've learned how to manage massive enterprises. And many of those folks are the folks that then go on to run the big businesses, the big steel companies, the big railroads. And, and so, you know, learning about the business aspect of the Civil War is, if you're a Civil War buff, is a helpful thing. So I think just kind of the approachability of the book is something we've designed into it. And our, our hope is that folks have fun with this book. You've been watching the Biz News Podcast. We welcome your input. Send your email to editor at biznews.com. Thanks for watching.